you for joining us today here at Victory. At Victory Church, we are a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. Join us as we begin today's message. My fear doesn't stand a chance. I love that. That's true, isn't it? No matter what we're going on in our life, no matter how hard our situations and our circumstances may seem, our fear, nothing that we're facing in life stands a chance when we're standing in the love of God. That's so amazing. <clears throat> if, I were to, if I were to go around the room today and if I were to ask you the question, how many people in here have deep, meaningful, intimate relationships you might be surprised to know, outside of the context of a marriage relationship, outside of that, how many people have deep, meaningful relationships with other people. You might be surprised to find out that the majority of us, most likely in this room today, would say no. I really don't, outside of the context of a marriage relationship, have deep, meaningful relationships with other people. Because a recent study that came out shows that the vast majority of us in our country today, and this recently came out, the vast majority of us are lonely the vast majority of the time. And the vast majority of us do not have deep, meaningful, intimate relationships with other people. I mentioned this study a few weeks back, if you remember, in the, in the series that we were in called Why Community Groups. And one of the most shocking things that I found in this study is that it seems like it's getting worse. We have a chronic epidemic of loneliness in our, in our nation today. Even though we are connected more than we've ever been in the entire history of the world, we have a chronic epidemic of loneliness. And the generation that is the loneliness, catch this, it's Generation Z. That is one of the most shocking things that I found in that study, that it seems like it's getting worse Generation Z, for those of you that don't know, that's 18 to 22-year-olds. Like, think about that. That's college-age kids. That's college-age kids, people, most of them in college, in the kind of environment, one of the best environments, to actually be able to develop deep, meaningful relationships with other people. And yet they are the loneliest group of people in our nation today. And it generates the question, why? Why is that? Why do we have a chronic epidemic of loneliness? And why does this seem to be getting worse? Personally, and this is my personal opinion, I truly believe that when we look at the research and we look at what's going on, it looks like we've traded deep, meaningful relationships for casual acquaintances and busy schedules. And, and I don't think that the core issue is our generation or the society, uh, social issues, political issues. I, I don't think those are the core issues. I think that in many ways, amen to that, that's right. And I think in many ways, those have contributed to it. But I don't think any of those are, are the core issue. I think honestly, one of the core issues to this epidemic of loneliness that we have in our country is a shift in our priorities. Because we have a severe problem prioritizing the things in our life that really matter that really matter more than anything else, like, for example, deep, meaningful, intimate relationships 
which if we're honest, we as the body of Christ, we as the church, I'm not talking about just a victory church, I'm talking about throughout the nation, as we have severely neglected this. We have severely neglected this. But shouldn't we as the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus, shouldn't we be modeling this? Like, shouldn't we be the ones that are modeling intimate community, relationship with one another? And as you read the Bible, doesn't it show us, it points to this time and time and time again, all throughout the Bible, the fact that we were created for intimate relationship. That's our big idea today, the fact that we were created for intimate relationship. In fact, I would even say that the overarching theme of the entire Bible, the gospel message, which can be described in four words as Jesus in my place, in many ways is about intimate relationship. Think about it, intimate relationship with Jesus and intimate relationship with his body, his forever family. And so knowing that, guys, doesn't it just make sense that we should probably take this seriously? Like, shouldn't we be taking this seriously and shouldn't we be living this out and then modeling it for the rest of the world around us? Doesn't that just make sense? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us with this problem that we're faced with right now in our nation, this chronic epidemic of loneliness. I pray that you would, that you would show us, not, not to scare us, but to, but to warn us and to really challenge us. And more than anything, really to, to get us to respond to this in a godly way. I pray that you would bring us back to your heart for community and relationship with you and with your forever family, with your, with your church. I pray that you would help us to prioritize this and see this as the incredible opportunity that it is to be in intimate relationship with you and with your, with your church. And I pray, that, I pray that you would help us to to actually be a part of this, but not only to be a part of this, but to also model this for this unbelieving world around us that, that needs this so desperately, that needs us to be your hands and feet and to show them you, ultimately that needs you, Jesus. I pray that you would help us to do that. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just convict us and draw us to this and give us this mindset, give us your mind, your heart for community and for relationship. I pray that you would just take over this, this service and just speak through me, a broken, sinful man, and speak to me and speak to your people. We thank you and we love you. I pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so today we're gonna be, we're gonna be diving into 1 Samuel chapter 18. It's the first part of 1 Samuel 18 uh, where we're gonna be continuing on in the series that we've been on the life of King David. It's called Heart Transplant. That's a series that we're in. So if you're here for the first time, we're kind of, this is like the fourth uh, sermon in this series. And I'm loving this series. I'm loving uh, diving into the life of King David. I've said this several times since we started. Um, David is one of my favorite go-to guys in the Bible. I love reading about his life. There's more meat scripture on the life of King David than anybody else in the Bible except for Jesus himself. And we can learn so much 
through this man's life. So many different things. And one of the things that we can learn through King David's life is what deep, meaningful, um, intimate relationship, what godly relationship and godly community actually looks like and how it's lived out. And that's what we're going to see today. So I want to encourage you to to dive into this text together, and we're going to see this picture, godly community, and what this actually looks like together. Again, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. This is what it says. When David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. Saul kept David from him from that day on and did not let him return to his father's house. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as himself. Then Jonathan removed the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his military tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. And there's so many different things that we can draw from this text about what godly, intimate relationship and community looks like. But to help us kind of wrap our heads around this, what I want us to do is kind of break this down. I want us to look at the, the different key things that we see through the perspective of Jonathan and how Jonathan approaches his relationship with David. All right, so that's what we're going to do today. And in this text, what we see is, first of all, Jonathan bound himself to David. He bound himself to David. And it says that he loved David as he loved himself. And because he loved David so much, he made a covenant with David. So let's kind of dive into this. We're going to break this down a little bit more. Again, the first thing we see Jonathan doing in his relationship with David is that he bound himself to David. For all of you note takers out there, if you want to write down the words, bound himself to David, or you can circle it in your text either way. That's the very first thing that we see Jonathan doing. And it carries with it this idea of intentionality and consistency intentionality and consistency in this relationship that they had together. Because as you read about the story of David's and Jonathan's relationship, what you quickly see is these guys were inseparable. They did everything together. It got to a point in the relationship where David and Jonathan were separated physically, not because they wanted to, they were forced to. Uh, Jonathan's dad, Saul, the king of the nation of Israel, literally wanted to kill David. And so David had to run for his life. But if you remember in that story, Jonathan is actually the one who warns David what's going on. And he actually also helps David come up with the plan to be able to escape. So in many ways, David actually owes his life to Jonathan. Jonathan helped save David's life. But through all of that, hear me, Jonathan and David were inseparable. They did everything together. When one of them hurt, the other one hurt with them. When one of them celebrated something and got excited about something in their life, the other one celebrated and got excited with them. What's really interesting about the relationship between Jonathan and David is Jonathan was actually uh, between 25, 28 years older than David, almost 30 years older than him. But regardless of that, Jonathan literally kept David everywhere he went. He kept him by his side. And they viewed each other in this relationship. Hear me, they viewed each other as brothers as like blood brothers and they were so close so close in the relationship again bound to each other and the parallel there the fact that they viewed each other like blood brothers the parallel there is the fact that listen to me in the in the family of God when you are part of the family of God we are blood relatives 
Do you, do you get that? Like, and not like metaphorically. Not, not, this isn't some kind of a metaphor or just like some you know, little thing that we say to make each other feel better. If you've ever wondered, why do people in the church say, hey, brother so-and-so, or hey, sister so That's not just like people, people aren't just asking weird, right? They're not just saying that to say that. The reason that we say that is because it's true. We are literally blood brothers and sisters because of the blood of Jesus Christ that not only saves us, not only redeems us and sets us free, but also binds us together as a family. And not just in this momentary life of vapor, but for all of eternity. We are bound together because of the blood of Jesus. So we are literally blood brothers and sisters in and through Jesus Christ. And in their relationship, Jonathan and David, they modeled this, living this out so well. Guys, if we honestly took that seriously, the fact that we are literally blood brothers and sisters because of Jesus, not just now, but for all of eternity, if we understood that, and if we honestly lived that out, how much would that one thing right there, how much would that change the way that we view our relationships with each other, the consistency with our relationships within each other. So much, so much. And we can see it modeled again between David and Jonathan. And their love for one another and the fact that they viewed each other as blood brothers. And something else that they did is these guys lived out so many of the one another commands that we see in the New Testament. If you've ever wondered how, much, uh, how important relationship is to God, and community with God, but then also with each other, his church. Go to the New Testament and count how many times you see one another commandments. Do this together do with one another. Do this with one another. Bear each other's burdens. Love one another. All these one another commandments. There are over 50 one another commandments in the New Testament. And outside of that, there are so many different references to the importance of unity. The high priestly prayer where Jesus prays for us to be united. As Jesus and the Father were one, he prays for us to be one with him as well. And also one together. This is so crucial, so important. And David and Jonathan, in their relationship with one another, guys, they modeled these one another commandments better than most of us ever do. And what's so amazing about this is they did it over a thousand years before the New Testament was ever written. We literally have a blueprint. We can go back and we can read Acts. We can read Acts 2 and see what they did. We can see not only the commandments, but actually how it's lived out. But if we're a thousand years before they even had the New Testament, these men were living this out better than most of us ever do. They were bound to each other. That's the first thing that we see. They were bound to each other. And again, it carries with it this mentality, this idea of being consistent and being intentional and the relationship with one another. And something else that we see in this text with Jonathan's relationship with David is the fact that he loved David as he loved himself. That's something else for all you note takers you can write down. Jonathan loved David as much as he loved himself. And so what does that mean? What does that mean? That means that Jonathan cared for David's needs and his well-being as much as, if not more, than his own. As much as, if not more, than his own. And something that's really amazing about this, the kind of love that these two men, because it was reciprocated by David. We're looking through the lens of Jonathan, but they both did. They both loved each other as much as they loved themselves. And what's so amazing about this kind of love that they displayed in this relationship 
is the fact that in Jesus' words, hear this, in Jesus' words, there, there's not many things that are more meaningful, more important to God than that kind of love, displaying that kind of love towards the people around us that David and Jonathan displayed towards each other, loving each other as they love themselves. And I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you. There's a story in the Gospels, and it's, there's several different places it can be seen. We're not going to read it for the sake of time. If you want to go back and reference it, Matthew 22, uh, Mark 12 is another place that it's at. And what happens is Jesus is approached by a Pharisee. Um, depending on where you read it, which Gospel, a Pharisee, a scribe, teacher of the law, same thing. He was a Pharisee, and he approached Jesus. The purpose was he wanted to throw Jesus off his game. That's why they would approach him and they would ask him these really hard questions because they wanted, to, they wanted to ask him a question that would throw him off and make him look ridiculous in front of the people that were around him. So people would stop following him. But they could never do it. Jesus would turn the tables on them every single time and it got so bad that literally they just stopped. They just stopped trying because they were humiliating themselves, right? And so this is one of those times this guy goes up to Jesus and he says, teacher, what is the... Uh, most important commandment out of all of the law, what is the most important commandment? The reason this guy thinks that he's stumping Jesus is because there's over 600 commandments in the Old Testament, over 600, more in the New Testament, actually. And so he thinks he's got Jesus. But Jesus, Jesus looks at him and he says, he actually gives him two. He says, the first one is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's the first one. And the other one is like it. That's what Jesus says. The other one is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. The kind of love that David and Jonathan had for one another. Guys, this is so important. More important than most anything else that you could ever do. The kind of love that David and Jonathan displayed towards one another. We are called to display that same kind of love towards each other, guys. And then think about the new commandment. You go to the New Testament, you think about the, the new commandment. They're, up, they're in the upper room, Jesus and his disciples. And it's right before Jesus is about to be taken away, wrongly tried, wrongly accused, beaten, and then crucified, dead, and buried. Right before all of that, they're in the upper room, last supper. Jesus says, I've got a new commandment for you. Love one another. As I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And again, this is right before he is about to go to the cross and die for our sins. This is sacrificial love that he's talking about. And then he doesn't stop there as if that's not enough. He then uses that as the ultimate litmus test to show the world that we truly belong to him, that we are truly his disciples. Because he says, by this, the world will know that you are my disciples when you love one another another guys love is at the core of God's longing for us and with us for us and with us and think about it what, what is the Bible how does the Bible identify God what does it say that God is God is love God is love and so doesn't it naturally follow that in order for us to have intimate deep meaningful godly relationships that love has to be at the center of it. Love has to be at the center of it. 
just like it was for David and Jonathan and their relationship with each other because they loved each other just as they loved themselves. Something else that we see in this text in Jonathan's relationship with David is the fact that Jonathan made a covenant with David. That's something else that you can write down, all you note takers. Jonathan made a covenant with David. And so to help us kind of understand this, that word covenant, it, it essentially, in a nutshell, it means a legally binding agreement, like a contractual, uh, legally binding agreement or a promise that's made. Or um, a key word here that I want you to, to, to really kind of uh, think in your mind is commitment, a commitment between two or more people or two or more, more parties. And that word covenant, it's seen all throughout the Bible. Like this is a very, very popular word all throughout the Bible. And a little side note here, if you ever want to like learn more about the Bible and understand how everything ties together and see the Bible as one unified story and see how it all points to the gospel message because it does, then start to understand the covenants and then you'll be able to kind of piece everything together because it starts all the way back at the beginning, Genesis 3, and it works itself all the way up to the New Testament, the New Covenant. And that word testament, it can actually be interchanged with the word covenant, old, co- old covenant, new covenant. And so this idea of a covenant, it carries with it um, this idea of a, an irrevocable promise. An irrevocable promise. A commitment that is made that says, under these circumstances, under these terms, I will not break my commitment to you regardless Regardless of anything or anyone else, I will not break my commitment, my covenant to you. And that's exactly how David and Jonathan modeled their relationship. They were committed to each other. So much so that nothing, not even distance, could really separate these men and their commitment to each other. So much so, in fact, that even after Jonathan died, He was dead. David was still keeping his promises to Jonathan and remembering his covenant to Jonathan. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. I don't want to spoil it right now, but it's one of the most incredible stories in the entire Bible. That's how committed these two people were to each other. No matter what, regardless of anything, regardless of anyone else, nothing ever could, nothing ever did separate these men and their commitment they made to each other. And it wasn't just to each other. They made a commitment first and foremost to God. And they took their commitment to God and to each other very seriously. Very seriously. And guys, when we talk about covenants and really commitment, that word commitment, honestly, I think that that is probably one of the number one reasons that we don't see godly intimate relationships and community more often in our nation and in our churches because we are not willing to commit to the relationship. We're not willing, honestly, to commit to a relationship with Christ and with his church. Because listen to me, in order for intimate deep, godly relationships, godly community to exist, to thrive, and to continue, there has to be commitment. There has to be commitment. Without commitment in our relationships, our relationships are superficial at best. Superficial at best. But not in David and Jonathan's relationship. 
They were committed. Even to death, these men were committed to each other and the relationship to God, the relationship to each other. And there's one more thing that I didn't mention before that we see in the relationship, Jonathan's relationship with David. And that's the fact that Jonathan sacrificially gave to David. Jonathan sacrificially gave to David. Check out verse four again. Let's read this together. It says, then Jonathan removed the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his military tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Guys, something else that intimate relationship requires of us, it is an absolute must, is that we sacrificially give to the relationship. If we're not sacrificially giving to the relationship, then hear me, we are not investing into the relationship. And when you're not investing into the relationship, then you are more of a consumer of the relationship rather than a contributor to it. And this consumeristic mindset, it, it, it generates this mindset that says, you know, what can I get from this person? What can I get from this relationship? How can this person, how can this relationship benefit me rather than what can I give to this relationship? What can I give to this person? How can I better benefit this relationship? And the sad reality is, in all honesty, in the majority of our relationships in this country and even in so many of our churches, it's marked by this very consumeristic mindset and mentality. Me, 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 I, I, I. And we wonder why we don't see deeper, more intimate relationships. We wonder why we have a chronic epidemic of loneliness in our country. By the way, that was a secular report, but it's true also in our churches as well. Yes, hear me. Deep, intimate relationship will cost you something. It will cost you something. It will cost you time. It'll cost you money, resources at times. It'll cost you energy. Intimate relationship requires us to sacrificially give. It requires us to sacrificially give in some way. And in his relationship with David, Jonathan modeled this so well. And we read that in this text, the things that he gave. And there's so much symbolism. And specifically the things that Jonathan gave to David. We're not going to dive into this even though I want to so much. We're not going to dive into this. But there's so much symbolism in, in what Jonathan gave specifically. And he models this for us so well. Sacrificially giving but someone that modeled, so there is someone that modeled this so much better than Jonathan or, or really anybody else ever did. Modeled sacrificially giving to a relationship. There's someone that modeled that better than anybody else that has ever lived. And I think you probably know where I'm going with this. But before I say his name, I want us to understand the context of David and Jonathan's relationship a little bit more so we can dive deeper. We got to understand something first. Something we need to know about David and Jonathan's relationship is the fact that Jonathan was royalty. Jonathan's dad was the king, right? So he was royal, and he, he had royal blood. He had royal clothes. He looked like royalty, but David wasn't. David didn't have that royal blood like Jonathan did. He didn't have the royal clothes like Jonathan did in this scene. And, and so what Jonathan did knowing this, knowing that 
David wouldn't be able to step foot into the royal courts. If he had a, for one, he would have been unworthy. He would have been looked at as unworthy. He would have been looked at as this uh, peasant shepherd boy. He would have been looked at as dirty, dirty, unworthy, um, unwelcomed. And Jonathan knew this. And so Jonathan takes off his royal robe and he covers David in it. So that when David enters into the royal court, first of all, he'd be able to enter the royal court. But second, when he entered it, he would be looked at and they wouldn't see him as unworthy. They wouldn't see him as dirty. They wouldn't see him as tattered. They wouldn't see him as a peasant shepherd boy. They would see David covered and the royalty of Jonathan. And who does that remind you of? Does it remind you of Jesus and what he's done for us? I want to read something to you. It's not going to be up on the screen. I just want to read it to you. And I want you, I want you to listen to this. This is in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. This is what it says. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Guys, Jesus did that for us. Jesus did that for you, and he did that for me. In this text, it says that he emptied himself. Jesus emptied himself. And when we read that, I want you to picture in your mind Jesus in heaven. Before the cross, Jesus in heaven, looking down and seeing the separation between us and him that sin had caused, the wedge in a relationship that sin had caused. Looking down. And as he looks down, he takes off willingly his royal robe and he empties himself, humbles himself to the point of becoming a man, puts on flesh, becomes a man. And he humbles himself even more to the point of death on a cross in our place. And hear me, he did all of that just so he could take his royal robe and cover you in it. He covers you in it. And check out what the apostle Peter says. Whenever we have surrendered to Christ through salvation, check out what he says about our identity in Christ. He says, this is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. Again, I'm just gonna read it. Just, just listen to this. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And in that shell, what this means, guys, listen to me. When you have responded to Jesus Christ for salvation, you have been adopted into his family and you are now covered by the righteousness, the perfection, and the royalty of Jesus Christ from head to toe. Meaning that you are no longer defined by your struggles, by your past, by your pains, your shame, your guilt, any of that stuff. You are defined as a child of the God of the universe, loved child of the God of the universe. You are cherished, you are valued, you are loved, and you are accepted in and through Jesus Christ from now all the way through eternity. 
And nothing can ever take that away from you. Nothing can. Because again, the gospel, it can be described again in four words. Jesus in my place in so many ways is about intimate relationship. Intimate relationship with Jesus, with Christ, and his forever family, the church. And if intimate relationship, community, is so important to Jesus that he would literally die for it, intimate relationship with you and for you, then shouldn't we take this seriously? Like, shouldn't we be living this out? And shouldn't we be modeling this in this community, this this dying, dark community that needs it so desperately, that needs us to be the hands and feet of Jesus so desperately. Ultimately, that needs him, that needs Jesus so desperately. Shouldn't we be modeling this? Knowing that in our nation today, we have a chronic epidemic of loneliness. Guys, I I think that it's time that we as the church Take a stand. Stand up and say, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm tired of playing church. I don't want to play church. I want to be the church. I I, want to actually take this seriously. I want to actually be an intimate, godly community and relationship with Christ and with his people. I want to be committed to this. And I want to model this. I want to display this for the world around me that needs this so desperately. So many people in our community that do not know Jesus. And when they look at us, so often they see a reflection of the world rather than the body of Christ. So what I want us to do today as we end and the worship team comes up, I want to encourage you guys to come on up. I want to encourage you, don't don't leave here today letting this just be another sermon that goes in one ear and out the other. Don't leave here today thinking, man, yeah, you know what? Somebody needs to do something about that chronic epidemic of loneliness. That's horrible. I want to encourage you to respond to this in some way. If you're here today, you've never responded to the gospel, this message of Jesus in your place. If if you do not know Jesus, you've never surrendered your life, your heart to him, don't wait. Don't wait. You can do that right here, right now. And we say this all the time but it's so true and it's so amazing. This isn't about what you can do, have done, ever could do. It's not. That's the point. You can't. It's about what he's already done in your place. It's about surrendering to his completed work on the cross in your place and turning to him and saying, Jesus, please, I believe, save me. Save me. And if that's you today, Don't wait. Don't wait to respond to him. I'll be up here. I'd love to talk with you, answer questions. The altar is open. If you respond, if you make that response, don't leave here today without telling someone, please. And for the rest of us, if you're here today, you've already made that response, then I want to encourage you to honestly do some self-reflection. Ask yourself and, and ask God to reveal it to you. Am I taking it seriously? Am I, am I taking my relationship with you, community with you, and my community with your people, my real family, blood family, not just now, but for all of eternity? Am I taking that relationship seriously? Ask yourself and be honest with yourself. And if your answer is no, I, I don't think that I am, and then I want to encourage you. The first thing is to just acknowledge it. 
And you don't have to have all the answers right now. It's not about having a, a full blown out plan by the time you leave here. It's just about acknowledging it and say, Jesus, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me with this. And so you can come up. The altar is open. You can pray. You can get prayed. Uh, I'd love to pray with you. But don't leave here today without responding whatever way that God is putting on your heart. If there's anything else that you need prayer for as we, as we stand together, I want to encourage you guys to go ahead and stand. And as we sing this last song together, anything at all that God is putting on your heart, prayers, questions, whatever, don't leave here without responding. He loves you. As we sing this last song, you respond to whatever he's putting on your heart. Guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me, what do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. And I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life, God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, there comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's this symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, 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 uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So. Uh, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. 
So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we are we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.